what do you want out of life, right? That's the question. What do, what do people really want out of life? And I would argue that people want out of life significant, healthy relationships. Intimacy. They want to be known and loved. They want to, they, they want to, they want to have relationships that actually change their life and change the world, right? And I can tell you right now, if there is a riff or your relationships are skewed or unhealthy in any way, it will rob you of the abundant life. It will steal from you your joy and your peace. Many of you that have experienced divorce know exactly what I'm talking about. It is hell on earth. Many of you have faced betrayal. Many of you have a wayward son. Many of you have even dealt with suicide and all kinds of horrific things in your life. And I will say that one of the most painful things in this life, more painful than almost anything else, is broken relationships. It's Satan's playground. He knows that if he can destroy your marriage... It'll ruin your kids. He knows if he can destroy your, take your purity from you, that you'll have regret the rest of your life. He knows that if he can break apart the family, what happens next is society will be broken apart. We see it all the time. We see people with seven or eight or nine or ten different kids from different dads or even moms. Broken families, divided families. Satan tricking singles to think that they can find fulfillment in the sexual experience. By the way, this is probably going to be PG-13. It's just a warning up front, okay? Convincing girls as young as 12 to give up their purity. And we see it all the time. And we see in social media lying to you and telling you that you can be something that you're not. And people are lying and deceiving and they build these fake personas of one another and, and each other. And, and everybody thinks that your life is this perfect little world. When in reality, what we're all looking for, what we're all struggling to find is significant relationships. Whether it's vertical or horizontal. Everyone here has experienced shattered relationships in one way or another. And so if Satan can skew or break or make a, a relationship unhealthy, whether it's with God or others, then the abundant life that Jesus promises cannot be experienced to its fullest. And so Satan doesn't pull any punches. He comes at you with everything he possibly can. Because if he can pour in your relationships, he will make your life toxic. <laughs> it can be in the church, it can be in marriage, it can be family, it can be in any way that he could possibly bankrupt your relationship. And I don't care if you have a ton of money and are incredibly successful. If your relationships are broken, estranged, toxic, or shallow, 
then your life will be empty or meaningless. Money can't fill it. Matter of fact, I I would even say a poor man with a loving family and great relationships is richer than a rich man, the richest man in the world, with no significant, powerful, amazing, healthy relationships. I would say the Bible ranks healthy relationships as the most important thing in life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have our text today. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Both of them are relational. And he says it's the greatest command in the Bible. And so there's this this thing that we have this vertical relationship with the living God that is supposed to be unbroken and healthy. It's supposed to be a, a place of communion with the Lord, with God's presence and this relationship that we have with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God then begins to bless our lives. And by doing that, He begins to bring in other significant relationships in our lives. And we have to protect those. We have to grow those. We have to nourish those. You cannot have a significant relationship with God without trying to nurture it and grow it. And the same is with your spouse or your kids or other people in the church. They must be protected. They must be cultivated. They must be grown in order to be healthy. And so the lesson for today, whether you're starting a new relationship, have been married for years, simply love your friends and family, there's a way to integrate God's will, God's way, God's word into every single unique relationship in your life. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at the way that we can, we can build healthy marriage, the, where we can be, have spirit-filled relationships. Because if we have a spirit-filled life, we will have spirit-filled relationships. Amen? It's a promise from the King of Kings and the Lord of glory. So I guess some up overarching big idea here is if we were to boil down the Christian life into one word, it would be about relationship. God honoring relationships. And it's safe to say I believe that, God, that relationships are at the core of the Christian Life. I don't think that's unbiblical statement. And I don't think it's an unbiblical statement to say loving the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving everyone as ourselves is the key to abundant life and Christian life. And so I, as I look at the scriptures, I see it. Yet then why are relationships still in crisis? Why are marriages falling apart? Why is fatherhood a game to some people? Why why do we see the family being torn apart? Why do we see marriages being torn apart? Why do we see, see young people giving up their purity? We look at families and Satan is doing all he can to destroy them and break them apart. The hurt, the pain, the suffering, children's lives being destroyed. Many of you are a victim of divorce, either a victim of a divorce or have experienced it yourself. 
And some of you that are single, even junior high and high school, 12-year-olds giving up their purity, sleeping around, sexting, making porn, girls as young as 12 years old. I mean, this world, you don't think Satan is on a relentless pursuit to destroy your life? The good news is, is God is on a relentless pursuit to make you something greater than you ever thought that you could be if you would just trust him if you would just surrender to him his will his word and his ways and say god you know what i'm going to live the way that you tell me to live because you say that i can ha- experience abundant life i can experience relationships and, and 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 a beautiful marriage and have a beautiful family and or whatever it may be that your your heart desires He promises to heal the brokenhearted. Those of you that have been widowed and divorced. Like I said in the very beginning, that God is always in the business of taking ruined lives and making them beautiful. It's what he does. And you can go into any any bookstore today and you can see miles and miles of books on relationship, communication, understanding, marriage, gender, sexuality, sex, uh, uh, LBGQT, any, all these different things that the world is trying to propagate to you and saying, look, here is the answer. Yet one in two out of two marriages end in divorce all the time. It's a 50-50 chance, right? In Christendom, it's a little better. But people are longing to belong and they were finding it in the wrong places. And you can find anything you want online. You can have a pseudo relationship you desire, anything you desire. Make yourself whoever and whatever you want to be. And Satan loves it because he hates the Imago Dei, the image of God. You that are created in the likeness and image of God. And he hates the family. And he hates single, singles purity. And he, and he wants to deceive and confuse your ideas of gender. And he wants to confuse your idea of, of sexuality. And he's on a warpath. And even in Christian churches, people are ignorant because they do not know the Word of God. But in the beginning, God created it, man and woman, for relationship. It's not up for debate. (laughs) Yet there's churches all over, even this town... To tell you you can be any gender that you want to be. Matter of fact, if I had a dollar for every gender, I'd have two dollars. <laughs> and you can say, oh, well, I'm intolerant, I'm a bigot, I'm, what, you, you can call me anything you want, but here's what I know. I know the Word of God, and God says, I created the most beautiful thing on the planet, period, the end, and that is man, and then I made man, I made woman out of man for relationship so that they could walk in the cool of the day in the garden and commune with me and love me, and I could love them, and they could, be, they could build a family, they could be fruitful and multiply throughout the whole earth. What does Satan do? He says, oh, wait a minute, time out. God created this 
beautiful man and this beautiful woman to be together in intimacy and, and to enjoy sex together and to enjoy each other forever and to have kids and, and to be blessed. And, and so now I'm going to come in any way I can and I am going to rob, kill, and destroy that relationship and I'm going to put a wedge between them. And I'm going to destroy them. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make people be confused about marriage and family and singleness and purity and sexuality and gender because he is crafty. He's a punk. (laughs) I hate him. And from the first book of the Old Testament in Genesis, Adam and Eve, loving intimate partnership as man and wife. And here they are. And first, what does Satan first go for though? What's the first thing he tried to destroy? He tried to destroy the relationship between God and his creation between God and the thing God loved more than anything else ever besides maybe his son and so what does Satan do he comes in and he deceives the man the woman and the man falls into transgression right and separates that beautiful connection between God and man. And what happens is, is all of a sudden Adam and Eve sin. They reject God's will, God's way, God's word in their life. And by the way, if you reject God's will, God's word, God's way in your life, you will suffer the consequences. And what happened? They get kicked out of the garden. And immediately now that relationship is broken where they once walked in the presence of God, enjoyed God, and were intimate with God. Now they were naked and ashamed. But God the Father, thankfully, he had a plan. He killed two lambs and he covered them. And there always has to be the shedding of blood when there is sin. And he covered them. But he kicked them out of the garden. And then what happens next, right? He goes, okay, now I've destroyed that relationship between man and, and his wife and the father. Now I'm going to destroy, now I've destroyed the relationship between man and his wife because now they're naked and ashamed and now they need a covering, which is the blood, right, of the, of the, of the garments that God made and put over them and he kicks them out of the garden and now what happens? Now he goes after the family. Cain and Abel. And what happens then? Cain is jealous and hateful and angry. By the way, I believe if they wouldn't have sinned and they were still walking in the presence of the Lord in the garden, Cain and Abel would have had a different relationship probably with their parents and with God the Father. Or Elohim, actually. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because let us go down and make man in our image. Us, that is a plurality. God made man, Elohim, that's a plurality. One God, three persons. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then what happens? Then the grandson, all of a sudden now, that that wasn't enough for Satan. So now Satan's going to bring polygamy into thing. He has Lamech, Lamech, 
marry two wives. <laughs> he murders somebody. So now he's, now polygamy's introduced into this thing. Sin is crouching at the door. It is desire to, for you, but you must rule over it. So basically the grandson of Adam and Eve now has two wives and the lust of the flesh and man now, as we move through Genesis, giving up the natural use of one another and their sexual deviance, they enter into Sodom and Gomorrah and God has to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Interestingly enough, Lot is living outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God and Adam has this, I mean, Abraham has this intercession going on. By the way, Abraham, Abraham slept with the slave girl. You remember that? They didn't wait on the promises of God. We still have problems in the Middle East from that. But now, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. He pulls out the only righteous man there. There should have been hundreds of righteous men. If one righteous man lives in a town, he should be leading other men to righteousness. But God couldn't even find ten. So he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. He pulls out Lot and, his, and the two daughters and his wife. And the wife looks back longing and yearning at the world. And she turns into a pillar of salt. And then Lot and Ammon and, and, and Moab go up into the cave. And, and Moab and Ammon think the whole world and every man has been wiped out. So they get their father drunk. And now incest enters in. They sleep with their father. And they get pregnant. And they become Moab, the Moabites and the Ammonites which would be a thorn in the flesh to God's people. And you think Satan's done there, right? I mean, he's got polygamy introduced. He's got the separation between God and man. He's got the separation between uh, man and, and woman and, and the separation in the family with murder and all this kind of thing. And then polygamy and incest. And you think he'd be done, right? You think, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I got him. But Satan's never done. <laughs> He's never done. His mission statement is to rob, kill, and destroy. And so he, 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 Jacob and Esau become two nations because Jacob lies and Esau loses his blessing. And these two brothers, Esau wants to kill Jacob. And then Jacob goes away. And, and you think Jacob would have learned the lesson, but Jacob doesn't learn the lesson. He gets four wives. And through this blended family, if you will, there's conflict. There's grief. There's alliances. There's hate. And jealousy and favoritism from the father, which is a huge mistake. If you're a father, you should never play favorites with your kids. Although I think Sparrow's the favorite, the two-year-old in our family. I think she's just the favorite of everybody. <laughs> and favoritism enters in. The brothers get jealous and they try to kill their brother, Joseph. Joseph is the last person that really is dealt with in the book of Genesis. So in one book of the Bible, Satan has managed to bring every conflict, every sin, every argument, every unhealthy thing a relationship can ever have into it in just one book of the Bible. And we have to step back and go, wow, right?
Where's the good news in that, right? And it all boils down to living under the curse, striving rather than thriving in our marriages and families. And if he can destroy and annihilate marriage relationship, he knows it will affect and ruin wound the kids. And, he, and if he can break down and destroy the family, he knows it'll break down and destroy a society. And if you do not see that today, I don't know what you could possibly see. And his ultimate strategy is to destroy life vertically, horizontally. He wants to destroy your des God's design for marriage, family, sexuality, gender, and life. And he's coming after your marriage, and he's coming after your family, and he's coming after your kids, and he's coming after your, he's coming after your purity. Now. Let's take a step back for a minute. Whew. Okay, that's the bad news, right? <laughs> but enters in Jesus and the cross. And God sees all the brokenness and he sees all the pain and he sees all the suffering and he sees all the unhealthy relationships and he says, you know what? For my people, I'm going to do something different. For the bride of Christ, those that he sent his only begotten son to buy you with a price you were purchased with a price your your life is not your own he sent his son jesus christ so that you no longer have to live under the sway of the enemy you no longer have to live under the sway of the devil he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life so he in comes jesus jesus becomes the star the centerpiece the masterpiece and he says, it says, you once were children of wrath. You were once under the sway of the devil. The devil once owned you, but now Jesus Christ, Christ has come. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and you give your life over to Jesus Christ, he begins to make all things new. He begins to change marriages, change families, even people that are, guys, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've already made mistakes, he promises, he says this, and this is one of the most beautiful things he says, I make all things new. I turn beauty from ashes. <laughs> you are a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And Jesus enters into your life now. And he says, now that I've entered into your life and I've given you salvation, and you're no longer at enmity with God, but you are a child of God. I now have given you tools to have a healthy marriage. I've given you tools to raise your kids. I've given you tools and I've given you everything you need to know about life and Godliness. I've told you that it's between man and a woman. I've told you that there's only two genders. I've told you that when you keep yourself pure, I will bless you. And he begins to restore what the locusts have eaten in your life. And he begins to build healthy relationships in your life. And guys, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That fellowship, that communion that they had in the Garden of Eden now is restored between you and God the Father through God the Son. And God now, Jesus actually comes and he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And now you're a partaker 
with God of his holiness and his righteousness and his spirit. And now he is inviting you. He's saying, come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Come, let me shower my love upon you. Come, let me let you know the height, the depth, and the width in which I love you. Let me, let that you and I go on this adventure and this journey together as one. And guys, here's another thing I really want to make very clear. Once you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, all things become new. Your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven and under the blood of Christ. Positionally, you stand in Jesus Christ, and that cannot be taken away from you. And as you begin to walk with Jesus Christ, what happens is, as you begin to obey and submit yourself under his will, his word, and his ways, what happens is, is you begin to experience the abundant life. You begin to experience joy and peace and love and supernatural love for one another. You begin to see what a, what a, what a biblical marriage that we're going to look at next week. We're going to start with that, and then we're going to do uh, husbands, uh, wives the first week, husbands the second week, and then we'll do singleness the next week, and we might circle back around and do uh, uh, husbands and wives again, and then we're going to go into parenting. Because God wrote a love letter to you to say, look, I can show you how to have deep, meaning, intimate, significant relationships. And if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And so my hope and my prayer has been that we would go on a journey together seeing God's plan, God's purpose, and God's ways for our life because he wants you to experience him in an intimate way like you're walking in the cool of the garden like Adam and Eve did before they sinned. Because Jesus Christ's blood came and made all things new. He's restored you. And the closer that you walk with Jesus Christ, the more you get to experience what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And the more that you experience being filled with the Spirit, the more you will understand love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. And so my heart, my prayer has been that you would, you would, you would come on this journey with us. And you would find the definition in the Word of God and see why our Creator instituted marriage and sexuality and gender and intimacy and relationships in the first place. They were His idea. They're His idea because He wants you to experience all that this life has. And here's the beauty. Here's the beautiful thing. If you've, if, if, you, if you've failed him, if you've cheated, if you've, if you've committed adultery, if you've been in, involved in a divorce, if you've been widowed, if you've, if you've lost your purity, he makes all things new. The beautiful thing about the blood of Christ, the power of the blood of Christ, and the greatness in the blood of Christ is that you can run to Jesus, run to the Father through the Son, and ask for forgiveness anytime you sin. And I believe relationally with, with God the Father, some of you are walking in guilt and condemnation and shame even right now. But the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ and His blood and the cross is that you can run to Him and because there's no, there, no for, there, no, there is therefore no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling condemnation this morning, it is from the pit of hell. Conviction now, on the other hand, is from the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing about conviction is he convicts us and then we repent, we turn, and we head towards the cross. We head towards Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. I want to talk about the church just for a second. And I know it's heartbreaking that so many believers who have hurt and broken relationships, I mean, some of you are married and unhappy that your homes are tense, toxic battlegrounds rather than a nurturing refuge. Many Christian parents at odds with their kids. People bouncing from church to church, leaving a trail of hurt relationships behind. Let's stop all that. Maybe a significant relationship has eluded you just completely and totally. Maybe you've let Jesus out of the center of your life and the center of the focus of your marriage and your, your boyfriend-girlfriend relationship and your uh, uh, relationship with whoever or whatever. Jesus is not the center. His word is not the center. Like what A.W. Tozer says, 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to one another. And so real quick, I think it's important to touch on it as we move through this overview of where we're going and the direction we're going, is there's the statements in the Bible, and I think they might have been on your chair, or yeah, I think they're on your chairs there, and I, I, I suggest that you take them home and you look at them when you have a second. But one of the cool words that the Lord uses in by the Holy Spirit as people wrote the scriptures is this phrase one another 59 times that's right 59 times it talks about one anothering <laughs> one another one another one another one another one another and so we've looked at all the different kinds of relationships so another thing I really want to touch on briefly is there is a significant relationship in the body of Christ with one another if you are a blood-bought saint of God, there are no enemies between you and that person that claims the blood of Jesus Christ in their lives. Look around the room. Go ahead. Just seriously, glance around the room. You have no enemies in this room. You will be spending eternity with these people that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So you might as well get comfortable and used to it now. <laughs> You might as well start loving one another now before we enter into eternity. So there's 59 verses on healthy relationships. Every relational context in the Bible has us doing something in relationship to somebody else. That's a lot. Matter of fact, the early church was one anothering each other. That's all that they really did. They were one anothering constantly. 
Some of you are longing and yearning for a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and you've never experienced that in your life. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered yourself to the fact that Jesus died for your sins and took your wrath that you rightly deserved upon Him on that cross. If that's the case, then I would encourage you to first and foremost get right with a holy God. And out of that should flow significant relationships. Unity. Where we love and care for and encourage and edify and unify and exhort and be kind to one another. And I, I, I got some verses here. They'll be on the screen that I, I would really like to see you take these to heart. Okay? The first one is Colossians 3. About cultivating healthy relations. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Do you know you're dearly loved by God? That He's madly in love with you? That His thoughts towards you are the sands of the seashore? Do you understand that? He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here it is, bearing with one another. We'll look at that next week. How, how many of you are having trouble bearing with your wife lately or your husband, right? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has an, a, a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And one of my favorite chunks of Scripture in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 5, verse 3. But first I want to look at verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God, here it is, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Guys, Jesus didn't hold anything back of himself. He gave everything for you. He forgave all you ever did, and he's inviting you in to significant relationship with him and with each other. Finally, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love. So what's it look like to be an imitator of God and dearly beloved as his dearly beloved children? We walk in love, number one. Just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, and what happens? A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So what's that say? Leave that up there, please. Just right there. Here's the reality. When you love God and when you love others, you act just like Jesus. When you forgive just as Jesus forgives. When you love just as Jesus loves. What happens is it becomes a fragrance and a sacrifice to the living God. Look what it says right there in, in, in 5, 1 through 3. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. If you want to be like Jesus, you will do this. 
You will love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You will love your neighbor as yourself. You will love the lost. You will love your wife. You will love your kids. You will love those that have wronged you and deceitfully stabbed you in the back. You will love. And when you do that, what happens in your life is now you become a sweet, fragrant aroma that puts a smile on God's beautiful face. And so it's my hope that as we're filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of God, as we're loving one another, that God will be pleased with fervent church, that He will look down and all of us will be a sweet-smelling fragrance and aroma to Him that puts a smile on His beautiful face. Now, how many of you want that? And friends, if you're at, if, if, if you're, if you're at odds with your spouse, if you're at odds with your kids, if you're at odds with, with whoever it may be in your life, somebody in this church, somebody in another church, so I don't care where you are, I would plead with you, I would beg with you, I would, I would, I would matter of fact, I get down on my hands and knees and I plead with you that you would forgive them just as Christ forgave you. That you would leave your gift at the altar and that you would go, and I don't care if it's their fault, ask forgiveness anyways. And what will happen in your life is that God will then begin to pour his blessing out upon you. Number one, with his relationship with you because you're no longer grieving the Holy Spirit by your bitterness and your wrath and your slander and your anger and your jealousy and all the things that, that Satan would love to keep in your heart and cultivate and grow. And stir. Because he loves to take things that are beautiful and ruin them. But God loves to take things that are ruined and make them beautiful. And so that's why it says, and I love it, it I just love it so much, it says, Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. He gave himself for you. He's madly in love with you. He stretched out his arms on that cross. He was brutalized and beaten and his back was ripped open. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head, but that wasn't all. Then God the Father dumped the wrath of God, the judgment of God that you rightly deserve upon his son. Turned his back on his son because he cannot look upon the sins of the world that he dumped on there. Your sin and my sin. Turned his back and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if that was the end, that'd be a horrible end. In three days, Jesus raised from the dead. So that you never have to die. And to prove that he has the victory over death. If it isn't there, it wouldn't be all the good news. Then he went up in his ascension. To the right hand of the Father where the Father glorified Him. And then He sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Resurrection power. 
so that you could be imitators of God, so that you could walk in love, so that you can be a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Amen?